So on this Mother's Day weekend, um, I, let, let me just tell you, uh, we're, we're still in this series, Authentic. And when I, when I laid this series out, I, I honestly laid this series out without looking at a, at a, at a calendar. And, um, and then as we got closer to Mother's Day, I, I looked at the sermon that was scheduled for this weekend, and, and, and I decided that, you know what, the Lord really has something for, for us today. And so this isn't a typical, uh, and I don't want you to look at this as a Mother's Day message. Uh, we're continuing in this series, Authentic, and, and we're, we're, we're just walking through the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes were like an introduction into the, the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to talk to you this morning about relationships. What, what does it mean to have relationships in life? In other words, for you and I to have relationships, uh, we have to be real in those relationships, and we have to learn to be authentic in those relationships. And that if we're going to have relationships in life the way that God has instructed us to, or Jesus has instructed us to, then we need to learn to, to do some things uh, differently. And so, so w- when, you, when you look at our world, our world is, is like riddled with conflict, right? I mean, it, it, doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter where you look what sector you look at, uh, you find that, that our world, when you open up the paper, or you look at social media, the internet, or whatever, wherever you get your news, uh, you find that we have a lot of conflict in the world. So we have a lot of conflict between countries, between uh, leaders. Uh, we have a lot of conflict within government and within politics. Uh, we have a lot of conflict with, with, within the business. I mean, we got airline employees hitting uh, passengers and passengers hitting em- airline employees and passengers hitting passengers and people behaving badly and not handling conflict and not handling some of those things well. Uh, we have conflict in marriage and we have conflict in families. We have some conflict in homes. We have conflict in businesses. We, we, we even have conflict in churches. And so I, I, ju- I just wonder how much does it grieve the heart of God to see his children in conflict? Uh, our, our girls, uh, Karen and I have two daughters, Brittany and Amanda, and they, they got along well. And they still, they're still great friends to this day. But I'm telling you, when the kids were in the house and they, they fought or they had conflict, as, as parents, it, it like grieved our heart. And so I wonder how much it grieves the heart of God when he sees his children in conflict or when he sees his children and, and they don't realize how to handle conflict in life. And so, so no wonder Jesus said in this beatitude that we're going to look at this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, if you want to turn there or, or click to, and then we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount as we try to unpack this this morning. Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers, so, for they shall be called sons of God. And so there, there's a tremendous need in our world, and there's a tremendous need in our time, right, uh, for, for, for peacemakers. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me that, that Jesus did not use the term peace lovers. Uh, peace lovers is something that is not, is not active, but it's very passive. In other words, a peace lover is that person that's always talking about peace, that we need to bring peace, there needs to be unity, we need to understand each other, and that's the person that's always talking about But But a peacemaker is totally different. A peacemaker is, is active. A peacemaker requires action in life, it requires effort in life. A, a peacemaker, in other words, seeks to restore conflict in, in relationships and in situations and to bring harmony uh, to those situations. Jesus said this, Jesus said one of the greatest commandments, and here, well, we'll just look at it, Luke chapter 10, verse 26, he said, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say, how do you read it? The man answered, you, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, right, 
And then Jesus told, them, told him, do this and, and, and you will live. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, if you'll do these things, if you'll learn how to love the people around you, if you'll learn how to love them as yourself, if you understand the importance of real relationships, then in, in that moment, you, you will live. I mean, you will have a different type of life. And so this morning, I, I just want to give you three things. I, I want to give you three things that if, that if you desire real relationships, um, that, um, that, that these three things would be a part of, you, a part of your life and, and, and that you would understand them. There's one of the areas that we're going to talk about this morning that I, I believe that there's just not a lot of clarity on in our world. So let's just walk through these together. The first thing is this. If you're going to have a relationship, the first thing is this, is that you must learn to diffuse your anger. You must come to the place in life to where, you know what, you, you learn how to acknowledge anger, you learn how to understand what anger is, and then you learn in real in, in relationships, how to diffuse your anger, because listen, it, it's the truth is this, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be betrayed. People are going to offend you. People are going to hurt you. And so the question is, is, is when those moments come, how do you handle that? Matthew chapter five, verse 21, this is in the sermon on the Mount. And Jesus begins talking about something that helps us to understand what he was talking about when he said, blessed are the, the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 21, he says, you have heard, heard that it was, was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his, his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. Now listen, I, I, I want to explain some things so we understand this passage. I want to explain some things about murder because the, in the Bible, there's a difference between murder and, and killing. Murder means that you take a life when you don't have the authority to take that life. But, but there are times in law enforcement, military engagement, the judicial system, that you take a life and that is different than, than murder. So, so please understand this morning that we are free today because men and women have fought for our freedom and that is not murder. And so when we talk about that, you've got to understand the difference between murder and killing. And so Jesus is talking about that if you want to have relationships, and if you want to have real relationships, then it starts in the, the interior of the heart. It starts within and moves out from there because the, the, the truth is we're, we're going to be hurt in life because we have people around us that are imperfect, and guess what? We're imperfect as well. Now here's the interesting thing in, in the Greek in this passage. Jesus used a Greek word for anger that, that was that was a... It was a word that was not often used for anger. And it was a word, and the definition is this. It means to be habitually angry. It means to be continually angry. It means that individual, that it's like anger is just, just right under the surface of their life. And so it doesn't take much for them to blow up. It doesn't take much for them to, to go off. It doesn't take much for them to get angry. And the reason is, is because their anger is right under the surface, and they've never learned, they've never learned how to diffuse their anger. They've never learned how to get rid of the anger that they have. And so it's this mindset in the, in the life of an individual to where it's this continual habitual anger. And to, it, may be at a, it may be at an individual. It may be at a situation in their past. It may be, um, it, it may be something that, it, that, it, that has happened to them. And so whenever they hear that person's name or the, or the situation... They get frustrated, they get angry, they, they remember the offense, and we're going to talk about what, what drives anger. And so they remember the offense, and so it's, it's like right on the surface. 
Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about this issue of, of relationships, and, and he said in, in Ephesians 4.26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity for the devil. And so in other words, this, anger is, is an emotion. But you, you can be angry, but not sin. So anger in of itself is, is not a sin. It, it is what you do with the anger that, that makes a difference. And so the person that has a tendency to blow up is many times because there's unresolved anger in their life that is, is like driving that. But if you will diffuse that anger, if you will get rid of it, that you no longer blow up like you once did. But if you're just a, if you're just a peace lover, in other words, if it's just passive for you and, and you don't really diffuse it, you just kind of are that type of person that says, you know what, we'll, we'll just deal with this later. And so you just kind of sweep it under the rug. The problem with that is, is that sooner or later, it's going to hurt and affect your relationships. And so the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, Paul was talking about urgency to diffuse it. When Karen and I were first married, we were like new Christians. And so we, we read that verse and we says, okay, we're never going to go to bed mad. After three weeks of staying up straight, <laughs> we said, you know what? Maybe we'll just try to work it out. We'll try to figure it out. And so the Apostle Paul wanted us to understand that you need to understand this issue of anger. You got to deal with it. Listen, the problem is if, if you sweep in your home, if you sweep the anger under the rug and you, not, and, and you do not talk about it, the next time you have conflict, the next time you have an argument, you know what happens? Both of you lift up the rug and all this stuff comes out, all of the past stuff, the past hurt, the past offenses, and you start talking about the history, and, and, and it's destructive to a relationship. So you have what, what the Apostle Paul was saying, what Jesus was saying is this, is you have to understand that anger, if it's handled incorrectly can be destructive in a relationship. And so to diffuse anger, you, you, you must do a couple of things. You, one, you have to realize it's dangerous. And the second thing is this, you have to understand the cause. So, so what drives anger? I mean, what drives our anger? Now listen, I, I want you to understand this from a, a biblical perspective, because the scripture talks that the thing that drives anger is this issue of an offense or when you're offended. In other words, what the Bible talks about is a lot of times anger, what precedes anger is that when, when, when we're offended, anger starts many times when we carry an offense, when, when, we, when, when we're offended. Look at this. I want you to see the progression. Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. And then many, this is Jesus talking, by the way. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. It, it, in other words, what Jesus said, it started with an offense. Someone did something to you, it offended you, you took offense to it, and you didn't know how to handle an offense. You didn't know the danger of it. just, sometimes it just seems so minor of an offense. Listen, when we carry an offense, when we do not do something, when we're offended with it, it will drive our anger. And if we're not careful, we'll become habitually angry towards that person because we are carrying an offense. They have done something that has offended us, and we have taken it personal. Watch this in John chapter 6. This is crazy how serious Jesus, Jesus relates this. He says this in verse 60. He says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, well, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take an offense at this? Did, this, did that offend you? Then what if? 
you are to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But they are some of you who, who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Because of an offense. Why? Because they were offended. Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus spoke the truth in life. Listen, I'm telling you something. An offense, when you look at Scripture, an offense is a serious thing. Offense can affect you spiritually. It can affect you from walking with, with, with other people. It can affect you in relationships. I have watched people walk away from churches. I've watched people walk away from businesses. I've watched people walk away from marriages and relationships all over this issue of an offense that was never dealt with. See, this, this can happen in our, in our relationships, that all of a sudden offense comes, we're offended, and then it begins to drive our anger. Listen, unfulfilled, unfulfilled expectations can cause someone to carry an offense. Un unfortunately, we as humans, we tend to judge each other by our own expectations. It may not be a sin issue, it's not a moral issue. It's just our sense of how you should behave, how you should respond to me. We have an expectation that our friend is going to do something, and they don't do it. So we're offended. We're angry. We're mad. We have an expectation that our employer is going to do something. You know what? And they don't do it, so we're offended. We have an expectation that a spiritual leader, a pastor, should behave a certain way, is going to do something, and so they don't do it, and so we're offended. We have an expectation that a husband or a wife is going to do something. And you know what? They don't do it. And so we're offended. It's amazing to me, and I'm talking to myself as well as you, but it's amazing to me over the smallest of things that we can get offended over. I mean, it may be, it may be our sense of expectation, but we can get offended over it. And then all of a sudden we get offended and we carry that with us. And you know what? We act like it's okay. And we act like it, it's, it's just normal. A person gets offended because someone doesn't say hi or someone doesn't say thank you or, or, or some do, someone doesn't talk to them or someone looks at them a certain way or someone doesn't behave in a way that meets their expectations. And as a result of that, they're angry. Now, here's the crazy thing. When you look at that word offense and you just, just open up a, a, a Greek dictionary, Greek lexicon, and you want to know in the Greek what is, what, is, what is the word and what is the definition for offense. So maybe we can get our, our, our minds around this. Well, if you pull a Greek lexicon, a Greek dictionary, you'll find that the word, the Greek word for offense is scandalon. If I say it real slowly, you may realize the English word that comes out of that, scandalon, scandalous. Somebody did something scandalous to me. They didn't say hi, they didn't say thank you, they didn't give me a compliment, they didn't speak to me a certain way, they didn't say the right thing, they didn't do the right thing, they did not meet my expectations. They didn't sin against me, they just didn't meet my expectations. And as a result of that, that is scandalous to me, and so I'm going to carry this offense. See, the definition of scandalon is this, a stumbling stone a snare or a trap. 
That's why Jesus said, or I'm sorry, that's why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity, a foothold, or to lay a trap for you in a relationship. And so you're in a relationship. And so someone offends you. So you and I have a choice. There's a couple of things that we can do. You can, you can stumble over it. It's like they lay a rock in your path. You can either stumble over it, you can pick it up, or you can, you can cover it. Just what the, let, let me give you some, some verses uh, about this. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love. Love carries an, covers an offense. Love understands that's not, a, that's not an ethical issue, it's not a moral issue, it's not a, it's not a sin issue. Love covers. Love covers us. An offense. Here's another one, Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. In other words, you can, you can take an offense and someone throws a stumbling stone down for you. And if you don't deal with it and cover it, you, and, and one of the ways we cover it is talk about it or have a conversation. And then you can take that stone. You can like pick that rock up and then you can carry it with you and you can talk about it. You can tell everybody how someone offended you, how someone hurt you. And what the Bible says, that will separate. You'll never have relationships uh, you'll never have deep relationships that will separate close friends. Listen, the only example or the memory I have about this is just, it was in the 70s, and it was like the dumbest fad that I remember in the 70s. And there are a lot of dumb fads in the 70s, right? And so maybe some of you remember, I was a freshman in high school in the 70s, and, we, and they came out with this fad of a pet rock. Remember that? Anybody, you guys remember? Anybody have a pet rock? Uh, please, okay, no men, raise your hand, please. I never had a pet rock, but in the 70s, a pet rock was a big deal. And so back before value meals, you could actually go to Burger King, and if you got a burger and fries and a drink, they gave you a pet rock. And so, you know, Joe's just out back digging through the rock pile and say, man, people are paying good money for this stuff. And so, so Joe would like take and put a rock, and they had a box. They had a carrying box for it, and they even poked holes in it like the rock needed to breathe. But after all, it's your pet. And so, so they, would, they would put this rock in a box, and then it came with a little kit, like some, uh, some, um, some watercolors. And so you, the girls in our, in our high school, they would like color their rocks and paint their rocks. They would name their rocks. They would carry their rocks to high school. And then all of a sudden, it became a topic of discussion. People talk about the rocks and that type, type of stuff. And, and, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, we, we may laugh at that and laugh at that fad because that fad was stupid. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you're supposed to say stupid in church. I'm so sorry. It's Mother's Day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so we, we, we may laugh at that, uh, but you know what? There's a lot of us, we have our pet rocks, and we carry them around in a box, and we let everybody know. See what John did to me? See what Mary did to me? And you know, like if you ask a question, when did John do that? When did Mary do that? 25 years, 25 years ago. 25 years, and, and so we tell everybody. You know what Proverbs says? Proverbs says, guess what? When you do that, it's, it's a, it becomes a trap to you. It becomes a snare to you. You'll, you'll never have relationships around you because you know what? 
the Bible says, it separates close friends. It separates relationships. And so, so we'll look at this. Another verse, Proverbs 19, 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Whose glory? Your glory. When you come to that place and say, you know what? It's not going to be a stumbling stone to me. It is not going to be a trap to me. I mean, I, I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to understand it is not an issue of sin. It is not an issue of, of something that's immoral. It's not an issue of something going against Scripture. It is just some unfulfilled expectations. Maybe it was because of how I was raised. I was expected to be treated like this. Maybe it was a culture that came out. It was a cultural thing or whatever. And so what, what the Bible says is the first thing, if we're going to deal with our anger, we have to learn to diffuse. We have to learn to diffuse it. We have to learn to get rid of it. The second thing is this: we have to learn to control our tongue. We have to come to the place in life because our tongue is where we many times express our offense or express our anger. John, uh, Jesus said in John six sixty one again. He says, "But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Did you take an offense to that?' You know what I wonder in, in relationships with that." That'd be a healthy question to ask. It's really a non-threatening question. Did I offend you? Did that look that I gave you? Did that comment? Did that thing that I asked, did that thing that I said, did that, thing, did, did, did that offend you? And if so, let's, let's talk about it. Henry Cloud, who, who spoke at, at the Pink Conference, here, here's just a quote from him. He said, we humans tend to judge each other by our own expectations. When we mutually agree on the expectations beforehand, we have, a, we have a better chance of relationships. We have a better chance of accountability. Here's the interesting thing about that word grumbling. In the Greek, it's really hard to define out. It's really a word that is derived from a, a sound that a human makes, from murmuring or muttering that's a long, low, indistinct voice, but it carries the idea of a complaint. I know nobody's probably done this in this room. To where someone offends you. <sighs> you like give a look. So did you take that mumbling? I don't even know if that was a word. Did you take that murmuring, grumbling tone as a complaint or a compliment? You took it as a complaint, right? But what do you do with it? They just want you to know they're upset. They just want you to know that they carry an offense. They just want you to know that they're, they're deeply, that they're just deeply offended. Listen, and, and what comes out of that resentment, resentment, listen, one man once said resentment is me setting myself on fire hoping the smoke will bother you. <laughs> you know what grumbling, mum, murmuring is? That is me letting you know that I am upset and I am in hopes it is... And you know what? That could go on for weeks. That could go on for months. And you know what the Bible says? You know what Proverbs says? Proverbs says that only hurts you. It doesn't hurt them. It may bother them, but it doesn't hurt them. And so you realize that we have to learn Matthew 5.22 to control our tongue. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother 
will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. In other words, let me just tell you this. He was saying there's, there's, a, difference of, there's a difference of an offense or a, of an insult and then condemning someone to the fires of hell is what he's saying. In other words, this, that if you insult someone, some of the translation says you use the term raka. Raka in, in the New Testament was simply just the, the, the harshest form of an insult or a criticism. And he says, in, in our day, it may be idiot, moron, you know, one of those words. And so if you say that, then guess what? You're liable to the courts. You're liable to, in, in relationships. But he says, but if you say you fool, then you may be in danger. And so what he's saying is, is not if you say something that's foolish or not if you act like a foolish person that you're in danger of the fires of hell. But what he's saying is this, it may be tied back to when King David in Psalm 14 said, said, a fool says in his heart that there is no God. And so what Jesus is saying here is if you, if you get angry enough to where you condemn someone to hell, you may be in danger yourself. In other words, if you so hate that individual that you tell them you can go to hell, I wish you were in hell. And if you are condemning them to a life separated from God, then Jesus would say, maybe you're in danger yourself if you can carry hate and anger to that level. The third and the last thing, if we're going to have re relationships, is this, is we, we must learn to reconcile our differences. We must come to the place to where we learn to reconcile our differences, we, we, to where we no longer sweep them under the rug. We no longer are passive with them. We no longer think it's just normal, it's just okay to carry an offense, let someone know that, that you're mad at them, uh, but never really talk about it. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 23 says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And so all of a sudden he's making a connection to relationships and to your spiritual life. All of a sudden he's making this, relation, this, this connection between unforgiveness, carrying an offense, anger, and say, you know what, if you remember... It goes back to what the Apostle Paul says, is, is understand the urgency of this. If you're, if you're on your way to church, if you're going to church, and you remember, I, someone has offended me, I have an unresolved issue with an individual, then what he's saying, when you carry your offense into a worship service, it will affect you spiritually. It, it, it will keep you from connecting with God on the level that you should be able to. And so he said, so make every effort. Make every effort. And, and sometimes it does not have to be an elaborate meeting and one-hour conversation. Sometimes it can be just a handshake. Sometimes it can be just as simple as an apology. Sometimes it can be a conversation. Uh, you offended me when or did I offend you? Just like, just like Jesus did. But in, in other situations, when, when the hurt, hurt has gone years and you, you've carried and you have carried that that pet rock, you've carried that pet offense because I, I, I think it's true. A lot of us, we carry our pet offenses, right? This is, this, is my, this is my expectations. And we carry those. And so when, it, when it's gone on for years and the hurt and the pain is, is pretty deep, then maybe the, the reconciliation um, effort should be com commiserate with, with the offense. And so really and truly, there's not, there's not one pet formula for handling this. 
And many times it's just a conversation. Many times it's sitting down with someone. Uh, Ephesians 4.3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When, when, when Jesus says, go and be reconciled, it was literally a personal commandment to you. It was not a, it was not a collective commandment to a group of people. It was a personal commandment. Then in other words, if, if someone has hurt you, that you should go with them. Now listen, I, you're not going to live at peace with everybody. All you can do is offer reconciliation. It, it doesn't mean they're going to accept it. It depends on their spiritual maturity. It depends where they're at. Uh, Paul said this in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace, live peaceably with all. In other words, there are some people that may not reconcile with you. And, and let me just say this, there may be some past relationships that it would not be healthy for you to put yourself in an unsafe situation to go and have a face-to-face -face conversation. And maybe for you, maybe you just have to learn to forgive them without ever a face-to-face -face meeting. And the Scripture talks a lot about this issue of not carrying an offense because an offense drives and can drive our anger. Um, Joseph, in the Old Testament, you can read about him. Genesis chapter, um, I think it starts in chapter 38 all the way to Genesis chapter 50. Joseph was, was raised in a really dysfunctional family. Um, his, his dad played favorites. He had a bunch of brothers. His brothers got tired of him being the favorite. So they took Joseph and they threw him in a pit and they, they were going to murder him. They were going to kill him. But Reuben, one of the brothers, stood up and said, don't kill him. So they throw him in a pit. They leave him for dead. He gets out of the pit. And then, for, and then that set, set off a chain of events for Joseph for the next 20 years. He went from prison to prison and then he finally got out and, and he made it to the vice pharaoh of, of Egypt. And in the meantime, his family was, was in a land that was going through a famine and they needed money. So dad told his brothers, go talk to the vice pharaoh and ask him for grain. They had no idea it was Joseph. And they meet Joseph face to face. And they remembered what they have done. They, they, they remember, and, and it gave them fear. And here's what, here's what Joseph said to them. Genesis chapter 50 verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should, should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he, Joseph, comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The only way Joseph was able to do this is over 20 years, he forgave them. He laid down his rock. He laid down the offense. And he was able to speak kindly to them. Forgiveness simply means this, to release. Just to release them to the Lord for God to deal with them. When you truly forgive someone, it means that you have totally and completely released them. And so maybe, maybe this morning, maybe some of us need to lay down our rocks need to lay down our pet offenses and maybe needs to have just a simple conversation. Did I offend you? Are we okay? And maybe have a conversation about expectations in relationships.